Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we can assemble together on this Thursday night. And Lord, we ask that you would take and use our time in study of your word to teach us, encourage us, and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. What would we do without the friendship of Jesus? Amen. That he was willing to be our friend. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 15. And we're going to try to take another little bite out of these chapters tonight. And... uh, Again, some of the deepest theological points that are dealt with in all of the Scripture, Jesus touches upon them, he explains them uh, as thoroughly as really we need them explained, and yet people argue about the same things over and over again. Uh, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. And uh, I'll tell you, it's hard to do that sometimes. And you've got to understand that you're not going to have an untroubled heart because things around you are going well. The only way you're going to have an untroubled heart is finish the verse, you believe in God, believe also in me. Amen? It is our belief in Jesus. And we come down here and pick up where we left off. We left off with verse 17 of chapter 15. And let's just pick up there. These things I command you that ye love one another. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, how many of you see the contrast in those two verses? Uh, Jesus says, listen, this is the commandment. He sums up this entire uh, little passage that we covered last time, uh, ending in verse 17, that ye are the Christians, those that are disciples of Christ, are to love one another. Yet we have to understand something. We are not only going to face the difficulty of loving one another, we're going to face the difficulty of the world hating us. And Jesus says, well, let's just read on. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, I'm sorry. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no other man did, 
they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the father, he shall testify of me. And ye shall also bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. Now, as we've said before, we're just breaking up this uh, dialogue, this monologue, actually, that Jesus gave his disciples, starting in chapter 13, as they left uh, the upper room where they had uh, just partaken of what we call the Lord's Supper. Jesus had just instituted it, and then he had told Peter, Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me thrice. And then he starts into this passage. And it's just so, uh, I hope that this study has been enjoyable for you. I mean, it is just everything that we face today, every issue that uh, I deal with as a pastor, that you deal with as a Christian, is covered in these few chapters. As we look right here, we start in verse 18. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world... I'm sorry, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now, if you get any publication offering Christian literature, uh, if you study in almost any seminary in the country today, the basis of what you are supposed to do is to go out there as a servant of Jesus Christ and cause the world to love you. Now, what did Jesus just say here? It says the world is not going to love you unless you are part of the world. I remember reading a book when I was uh, just moved to New York City and was working in church and said, hey, I want to teach you, and, uh, and went through... Uh, all of the different barriers that we're supposed to remove. We're supposed to remove the stained glass barrier. Now, how many of you want to get rid of our stained glass windows? Uh, I don't want to. I kind of like them. Amen? Amen. Uh, But they said, oh, those offend people. They bother people. They remind them of church. And and you have to be careful about uh, talking about church all the time. It's a term that's offensive to people. 
Uh, how many of you were really happy and pleased when you found out you were sinners for the first time? When, when you really understood what sin was, did that make you feel better about yourself? You see, if you want to know one of the reasons why I criticize the purpose-driven life and the purpose-driven church so much, it's because it turns these words of Jesus Christ inside out. And it is the predominant philosophy of quote-unquote Christianity today. Now, Jesus does not say, go out there and be as rude and crude and offensive as you can possibly be. Jesus never said that. I've met some preachers who have taken that on as their calling. But uh, praise God, they are few and far between. I knew a guy, met a guy one time, he actually put a sign on top of his car. The Pope is a dope. And he'd drive all over the town that way with a bumper sticker and the name of the church, which I won't tell you, on the back saying, follow me to my church. And the pastor said, either get rid of the sign on top or get rid of the bumper sticker. But don't let them know you're from, I mean, that's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is Jesus said, listen, if the world hates you, you need to understand something. They hated me first. Now, why is that so important? How many of you remember last week's lesson? How are we to love one another? Well, you see, God the Father loved God the Son. And God the Son took the love that God the Father gave him. By the way, it was that love that brought him to Bethlehem's manger. It was that love that took him to the cross and through the empty tomb. Amen? And he loved us with that love he had gotten from the Father. Now, if you're going to accept the love. And by the way, what are we supposed to do with that love? Love one another. That's how we love one another. I don't know if you've checked, but uh, it doesn't take long to figure out we are not lovely people. I mean, every once in a while you'll meet someone and, you know, they're just everybody's friend. Everybody likes them. But most of us just aren't that way. It's a whole lot easier to make people upset at you than it is to make people love you. Amen? Am I the only one with that problem here? You're all looking at me rather confused here. Uh, if you can't be honest at church, where are you going to be honest, my friend? Amen? Uh, the simple truth is, why do we love one another at church? Because we share a common relationship with the common, and I don't mean that uh, common meaning the only Savior. Not lowly, because he is not, but he is the only Savior. If you have a Savior today, we have a common or the same Savior. And we get his love, and that's how we are able to love one another, by the way. How do you forgive one another? 
Well, we go back to the cross. If Jesus paid for it, then you don't have the right to hold it against anyone else. You let God take care of it. That's forgiveness. It's not, well, I'm just going to be bigger than that. Oh, my. You know, I really pity the next person that says that in front of me. I, I just might unload, and it might not all be spiritual, but... How arrogant is it to say that I am so big that I can forgive you out of the goodness of my heart when there is none there except what Jesus put there? Amen? I mean, that's where we start. And this is why Jesus says, listen, if you're going to accept that love and all that comes with it, guess what? There are some people that hate me. And if you're going to accept my love... What are they going to do to you? They're going to hate you. You see, the world would love you if you were part of the world. And we have a new brand of Christianity out there today being marketed and being brought forth and explained that this is good and, 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 uh, and uh, we're positive here. We just don't talk about sin Uh, We don't talk about anything negative. Well, wait a minute. How much more negative can you get than the cross of Jesus Christ? And why was he there? Because of what I did. Because of what you did. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you have lived without sin since Sunday morning? Yeah, I don't see any hands going up. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And you see, that's why the world hates the servants of Christ. That hatred is bound in their hatred of Christ. And Jesus says in this one verse, he says, I have chosen you. Out of the world. You're no longer a part of the world. That's why the world doesn't love you. Now, illustrate this. How many of you remember when you were in school? There's always one of those smarty pants. They got 100% on everything. Do you ever remember that? What was your first reaction? Who do you think you are? Why do you get everything right? Oh, I remember we had, I had a class at Bible college. He would, the professor would give us a 120 question test orally and grade it in a 50 minute period. And it was history. So it was just simply, he was just simply spitting out questions. Who was the Pope in 1542? Who was the uh, first at the Inquisition? Who was the, you know, and he had all these funny little sayings. Who knelt in the snow and kissed the Pope's big toe? Of course, that was Henry, King of Germany. I still remember it all these years later. Why? But we had some guys in there that would get 100% on that test. You know what? I didn't like those people. 
He just had no patience for them. I was working 40 hours a week from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. I did not have 20 hours to study for one test. But you know what? The reason I didn't like them was because they did better than I did. Isn't that human nature? Do you think that may be part of the reason why the world doesn't love people who are part of it because you're doing better than they are? But you're not doing better than they are because you're better than they are. You're doing better because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. But let's go on here and we're going to find out that the reason they don't like us, the reason the world hates the true servants of Jesus Christ, he says, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they also will keep yours. But all these things will they do unto you for my namesake, because they know not him that sent me. Okay. They're going to do these things because they do not know who sent Jesus. Now, who sent Jesus? God the Father. Not, not a complicated question, not trying to trick you in any way. But I want to ask you a question. To whom was Jesus speaking these words? And about whom was he speaking these words? He was speaking these words to his disciples, all of whom were Jewish. And he was speaking them about the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who, by the way, in order to be a card-carrying member of the Pharisee club, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you're complaining about the verses for Christmas Eve. And by the way, there were no verse divisions and chapter divisions in the scrolls in the time of Jesus. How'd you like to try to memorize the book of Genesis as a text block? I mean, that, that goes, that, that's a whole lot smarter than I ever want to be. How about you? And yet these people knew the scriptures inside and out and could quote uh, at, at verbatim entire books of the Bible and not the little skinny ones in the back. I mean, the great big ones right up front. And yet they did not know the God whose verses they were quoting. If you'd ask any one of them, they would have told you only God could create the world. You see, education hadn't gotten far enough along to make people so stupid they would believe they came from monkeys. Amen? Uh, nobody had lost so much sense and so much reasoning ability that they would believe that foolishness. But the simple truth of the matter was they knew all of the scriptures and they didn't know the God of the scriptures and because they didn't know the God of the scriptures they failed to recognize who Jesus is and also 
they were unwilling to admit their sin and their wrong that they might have Christ. You know what? That is offensive, is it not? But if you're here today and you're saved, if you've been born again the Bible way, it's because you have come to that point in your life where you saw God's level of standard of holiness, His law. You saw your sinfulness, for all have come short of the glory of God. Amen? You understood the penalty of that failure, for the wages of sin is death. And you surrendered everything you are, were, and ever hoped to be to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that you're never going to sin. What it means is you made a decision that you were going to give your soul to Jesus Christ. Do you ever wonder why the devil's come up with so many stories of people who sold their souls to the devil for this or for that or for the other thing? It's in mockery of what a Christian is supposed to do when they get saved. You see, no one would sell their soul to the devil, would they? Well, how many people are out there chasing money? Power? Pleasure? Uh... Can the list go on and on? Yeah, we could just keep adding it up. Brother Horton, we're here. What would it be? Um, money, maids, and modernism. Um, somebody remember those outlines? Uh, but the simple truth of the matter is the reason these people hated Jesus was because they did not know the Father. That's what he's saying here. And when you come across someone who hates true Bible-believing Christianity, guess what? You've met someone that doesn't know who God is. Why do some religions try to conquer with the sword? I mean, could you go out and kill somebody you loved? I mean, that's hard to imagine, is it not? People kill people they hate all the time. Isn't that true? And yet we've had armies march against people and literally lay waste men, women, and children. This happened over and over again in Europe in the Middle Ages. In fact, there was one town where uh, a messenger came out of the town to the... To the uh, priest and the soldiers that were waiting there to attack the town and uh, he said you can't attack this town there's some believers in there by meaning believers he was talking about people who were sympathetic to the catholic cause and and were subservient to the pope at rome and of course the heretics were there those who believed that the word of god was the final authority and not man and here was his answer kill them all he said, God knows which ones are his. Now, let me ask you a question. How in the world do you get that out of the teachings of Jesus Christ? You can't. And yet, it has happened over and over and over again in history. 
it's amazing that the people who so vehemently accuse true Bible believers of hating everybody are the first ones to try to persecute and squelch and use force to stop those who believe the Bible from just simply proclaiming it. And yet, those who believe the Bible historically have been the ones that say, you have the right to believe whatever you will or will not believe. Freedom of conscience. Study your history, my friend. That is a Baptist principle. Now, don't judge it by the Baptist of today, all right? Uh, but if you historical Baptist, people who have just believed the Bible, that's where it came from. And here we look at the passage, and Jesus said, listen, you're not greater than your Lord. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they've obeyed me, they're going to obey you. They're going to do this for my namesake because they don't know who God is. Well, let's move on. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. Now, people want to make a big deal about this and try to make it more complicated than it is. But let me ask you a question. Was it possible for Jesus not to have come? Was it possible for Jesus not to have come? No. Because the scriptures said he was coming. Amen? The scriptures had to be fulfilled all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. As God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, The seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. He said there's going to be enmity there. That was the first promise. Then there were many other promises all through the Old Testament. The Psalms, they talk about Jesus. So many of them. In fact, we're going to get to one in just a few minutes. So when Jesus said, if I had not come, he was not saying that there was a possibility of his not coming. Here's what he's doing. He's saying there's absolutely no cloak. There's no covering for their sins. Now, in just a few hours, Jesus would be arrested. The following day, he would be crucified. And when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. One of the things that, would, that did happen, the Bible tells us, was the veil in that temple was rent in two. Now historians tell us that that veil was woven linen, six inches thick. I've tried to explain this before. That would be stronger than most chains. You could take that curtain and put it between two tractor trailers and clamp it down tight and have them go opposite directions and you probably would not tear that curtain. That's how strong linen is. Six inches thick. Uh, I mean, imagine that. I mean, the fabric alone 
had to weigh over a ton. And the thing was just from the top to the bottom like you would a sheet of notebook paper. Jesus said they had have no cloak, no covering for their sin. Do you know what was in the holiest place in the temple that was in Jerusalem when Jesus was there? The Ark of the Covenant had been had disappeared when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem in 606 B.C. and sacked the temple and, and leveled the building. And uh, don't believe your popular mythology. Uh, what's his name? Indiana Jones never found it. All right. Uh, no one knows where it is. If you read in the book of Revelation, it says that the ark was seen in heaven. Uh, I, that would be my best guess, but I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. But the simple truth of the matter is all that was in the temple was a white marble slab. Can you have forgiveness of sins by sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice on a white marble slab? No. It had to be sprinkled on the mercy seat, which hadn't been there in over 600 years. Stop and think about that. You know, there are some people who teach that in the Old Testament you were saved by works. And those works were the obedience to the Word of God. Well, I want to tell you, how did Daniel, who lived almost all of his adult life as a captive in the land of Babylon and later on in Persia, how did he go to the temple and offer sacrifices? All of the people who lived since Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple, there was no mercy seat there. How could they totally fulfill all of the laws of God without a mercy seat uh, hovering, uh, sitting on top of the ark of God to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the day of atonement? How did that work? Well, we New Testament Christians have a very simple explanation, very biblical one, by the way. It's called faith. Because faith without works is dead. But works without faith is simply foolishness. Jesus said, if I hadn't come, they'd had no covering for their sin. But there was no way he wasn't coming. He's saying, as Paul would in the book of, of Romans in chapter 1, there is no excuse there is no covering. There is no way that they can claim ignorance of their sin. There is no way that you can uh, get to, or um, uh, let me stop over here. I'm getting ahead of myself. There is no way you can end up in hell without stepping over the cross first. Do you get that? This is what Jesus is saying. You see, if you don't have sin, you're not judged for sin. This is why we believe little children go to heaven. 
that there is no such place as limbo. There is no such need uh, of baptizing a babe. Because when Jesus died on the cross, how many sins did he pay for, my friend? All of them. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus paid the price for all sins. Paul says, hey, I was alive without the law once. You know, when the little children do something wrong, do we hold them accountable? No. But when an adult does something wrong, hey, we're in trouble. I mean, if a little child got a hold, let's say Jason got a hold of the keys to the church van and went out there and started it up and put it in gear and had an accident. That's not hard to imagine, is it? Not if you know Jason. That's why he doesn't have any access to the keys. They're in my pocket or in my desk. Because that could happen if he did that. But who would go to jail for what Jason did? Ta-da! That's why we don't allow him to get the keys. Amen? Well, you know what? God is not going to judge you until you've willfully chosen sin. But once you do, guess what? There's no cloak anymore. You can't claim ignorance because Jesus as God has walked the paths of this earth. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Jesus said, I have lived God's law without exception. Therefore, there is no longer an excuse. Nor has there ever been. Amen? Now we read on. Look what, how he puts it in there. He that hateth me, hateth my father also. Why did they hate Jesus? Because he shined the light of righteousness on all of their foolish deeds and their, their traditions. I mean, it was known all over the world in those days that if you had dealings with certain kinds of Jewish people that you were going to get cheated. Because they would swear by the temple in Jerusalem. Now, would you believe somebody who says, I swear by the temple of my God in the city of my God that I will fulfill my contract? Wouldn't you believe somebody like that? But they said, hey, listen, he's not a debtor because he didn't swear by the gold in the temple. Now, what kind of person would make those kinds of rules? Yet those were written into the code of righteousness of the Pharisees. The Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother. Most people said, oh yes, I honor the memory of my father. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about taking care of your parents when they get old. And you still have to remember something. They are your parents. You can't tell them what to do. I still remember my mom. You're not going to do that. Yes, ma'am. I'm trying to fix the house or do something there to help her out. She didn't want some help. 
And so I didn't give it. Amen? But I gave every bit of help I could. Because that's what the Bible says. But they had come up with a whole elaborate plan that you could take, and this was in the law, you could take a part of your property and you could dedicate it to the Lord and it was known as Corbin or a gift dedicated to the Lord. The only problem is they would say, listen, all of my property is dedicated to the Lord. It's free of all income tax and all use tax and all sales tax. And because it's dedicated to the Lord, I'm only allowed to take out a small subsistence for me and my family, but mom and dad, that doesn't help you. I'm sorry. How cruel and selfish and wicked could you be? But that's the way these people were. That's why they hated Jesus. Because he took the cloak away and revealed their sin for what it was. Now read the next verse. If I had not done among them the works which no other man did, they had not had sin. But now, have they both seen and hated both me and my father? How many miracles did Jesus do? Was there any human being in all the history of the Bible that Jesus could be compared to in the amount and the incredibility factor of the miracles that he did? No. no. I mean, nobody even comes close. I mean, the greatest number of miracles that we have, I think, recorded of any single person was that of Elisha. Elijah did nine, Elisha did 18, I believe the numbers are, or something very similar to that. But Elisha only raised two dead people. And the second one was after he was dead. They dropped the body in the grave and the body came back out. How many people did Jesus raise from dead? <laughs> Nobody even knows. But Lazarus was in the grave four days. Did anybody open the eyes of a man who was born blind other than Jesus? Read John chapter 9, only time that ever happened in history. How many people walked on water? Uh, Jesus did, and Peter for a little bit. But he was holding Jesus' hands. It's a little easier that way, I think. Jesus is saying the same thing here again. He's saying, listen... I have come as God and walked among you. You have no covering for your sin. The veil in the temple would be rent the next day, proving the emptiness and the void of their religion. He said, the works that I have done, there is no human in all of history. If you put every human together, it still wouldn't compare to what Jesus did while he's here on earth. What did they do? They accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath instead of healing the man with the paralyzed hand. Amen? They hated him. They saw him. The more miracles that Jesus did, the more they hated him. When Lazarus was, ro was raised from the dead, what did they do? They went and they held a council and they said, if we let this guy alone, everybody's going to believe on him. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? And they took counsel from that moment 
to put him to death. Jesus said, listen, as he was walking to the cross, he said, there is no excuse. But this cometh to pass that the word might be filled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. In Psalm 69, 4, it says, They hated me without a cause. There were more enemies than the number of my head. And then what does it state? Then I restored that which I took not. You know, only Jesus could do that. He restored an opportunity for us to be saved. But he didn't take it away. We did. Amen? He brought to us God's grace in there. There it was in the law. And Jesus said, listen, it's going to be fulfilled. And then the next thing he says, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now, I'd like to finish this tonight if I can, but look what it says here. Who's going to send the comforter? Jesus is. Where's the comforter going to come from? The Father, the same place Jesus came from. What is the comforter going to do? Oh my, he's going to set up a tent outside of town and have a healing rally. Uh, He's going to have the largest television network in the free world and start a Christian carnival ground. No, it says he's going to testify of me. Do you want the Holy Spirit working in your life? Go tell somebody about Jesus. That is the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. How many of you have ever been afraid to do that very thing? Be honest. If if you've ever tried it, you've been afraid. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has to do it. Or it doesn't work. It doesn't happen if the Holy Spirit isn't doing it. And ye also shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, where is the Holy Spirit going to be? We already know that. He's going to be in you, right? He's going to live in us. He's going to uh, come from the Father. He's going to guide us into all truth. And I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves into chapter 16 here. But the Holy Spirit is going to do that work in us. And when the Holy Spirit does that work in us, We are not going to need attendant phenomena. What we will do is tell people about Jesus. That's why every time we have a service, the goal is to tell everyone that comes about Jesus. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? And so Jesus ends this part, the the next four verses here. He says, these things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. He said, I've told you about this because there are bad things that are going to happen to you. Terrible things are going to happen to you because you know me. And he said, I don't want you to quit serving me just because bad things happen to you because you know me. I've known people, even here in the United States, who have lost jobs because they were a Christian. But God took care of them. There are people who have suffered because they were a Christian. 
Now, I'll tell you, the number is far greater of people who suffered because they were just plain jerks. Amen? Uh, the number is far higher of people who have suffered because they were just literally obnoxious from the soles of their feet to the crown of their head. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about actually suffering because you know Jesus. And Jesus said, I don't want you to quit serving me. I don't want you to be offended. It says, they shall put you out of the synagogues. You know, I don't know how many times I've been called ignorant and childish and unlearned theologically because I simply teach the Bible what it says. Always consider that a compliment. You know why? Because if those same people loved me, there'd be something wrong with what I taught. It says, yea, even... It says, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God a service. You know, they called them God's bloodhounds in the Middle Ages. But what they really were were just murderous Catholic priests who went around killing anyone who refused to bow the knee to Rome. I mean, it's, it's a terrible and dark history. But they claimed... They were serving God. The story of the Apostle Paul. But God saved him. Amen. You see. And these things will they do unto you. Because they have not known the Father. Nor me. Again. The source. Of all religious hatred and persecution. Is because they do not know who God is. That's the simple and the ultimate answer for all of the hatred in the name of religion. Because if they knew who God was, they would believe on Jesus Christ and then they wouldn't want to kill anybody. Amen? And Jesus said, I want you to remember this, but these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. You see, when Jesus was there walking the earth, did anybody get upset at the disciples? Not too much. Oh, they found fault with the disciples. But who did they take the fault to? Jesus, your disciples are eating with unwashing hands. They're, they're threshing wheat on the Sabbath day. I mean, these were accusations. But they were all leveled at Jesus because while he was here, he was the center of all the hatred. But Jesus in the next verse is saying, I'm going away. So guess who's going to be the center of the hatred? You guys are. But I don't want you to be offended. I want you to serve me. Because I have loved you and the same people who hate me are going to hate you. And yet, we have people today running around saying, you know, the problem is we're just too offensive to the world. We need to make the world comfortable. You know, I would pray 
that if someone who was unsaved came in these doors, they would be uncomfortable enough to at least think and listen to the things that are spoken of here. Amen? Because there is no hope outside the words of our Savior. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when people get offended, you have to understand something. It's because they don't know who God is. And that's about the scariest place I know any human being could possibly be. So, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we just simply ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would help us to focus our desires upon you, that we would accept that love that you have brought to us from the Father and pass that love on to others with whom we come in contact. And Lord, when the world hates us, we just have to understand. And Lord, we pray that it would not be because of our offensive nature, but it would be because they hated you first. Lord, we pray that it would not be because of some wrong thing that we have done, but because we follow you so closely that they recognize the object of their hatred in us. Lord, these aren't pleasant words, but they're words you gave your disciples. And I, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that we would understand them and take heart, take counsel, and remember that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else. In your name we pray. We'll just keep our heads bowed for a moment. We'll have the piano play. If you need to slip out and spend just a few moments.